Back in the days before Bell made his phone, the word got around kind of slow. Welcome to In Beta, where we discuss the big questions around human rights in the digital age. I'm Charles Bradley, GPD's executive director. It's a relatively little known fact that for most of the 20th century, communications in the US was almost entirely controlled by one entity, the Bell Telephone Company. In the 100 years since Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, it has progressed from a curiosity to an instrument you can depend on. With thousands of technological advances, such as the transistor, Bell scientists and engineers have not only made your phone system the best in the world, they have also made significant contributions to other industries. In fact, from their first flickering moments, the network shows you enjoy, including the one you're watching now, have been brought to you via the Bell system. If you made a telephone call, whether local or long distance, it would have been on a telephone manufactured by Bell through Bell telephone lines speaking to Bell operators. The Bell system, or Marbell as it was affectionately called, was a government-sanctioned monopoly. Its motto was quite frank about this. One system, one policy, universal service. By the 1970s, it was the largest and most powerful company in the world. By all accounts, it seems to have delivered a mostly reliable, efficient service to its customers. Monopolies, after all, aren't without their advantages. And its experimental research division, Bell Labs, fostered some of the century's most important scientific breakthroughs, from the development of the transistor and the laser to Claude Shannon's landmark work on information theory and cryptography. It was an institution, part of the fabric of American life, and like many powerful institutions, it had its dark side. In its early days, it would simply cut the telephone lines of rival telecoms operators or send people to break their machines. Later, when it was dominant, it forced what competitors were left to pay heavy fees to access its network. And for all its contributions to science, Bell wasn't shy of holding back progress when its own commercial interests were at risk. We now know from archival research that technologies which emerged in the 1990s, including the answering machine, had in fact been invented by Bell Labs in the 30s, but suppressed, out of fear they would mean people spending less time on their phone networks. Bell's dominance was eventually to end. In 1982, following an antitrust lawsuit supported by the US Justice Department, it was broken up into seven smaller companies. In his book, The Master Switch, Law professor Tim Wu sees this moment as a kind of big bang, unleashing a huge wave of innovation and competition in the US telecoms market, even suggesting that without this lawsuit, the development of the digital environment might not have even been possible. In a way, what's remarkable, looking back on this history from 2018, is not how much has changed, but how little. AT&T, which emerged out of the broken up Bell company, is the world's biggest telecommunications company. At the same time, companies like Facebook and Alphabet, once upstarts, are beginning to take on some of the qualities of monopoly in their aggressive purchases, increasing tendencies towards vertical integration and their unprecedented influence over our attention and time. In this episode, I want to explore this idea and the, the questions which come out of it. How are these companies the same and different? Are centralising tendencies in communications inevitable? And if breaking up Bell was necessary, then does it follow that these companies should be broken up too? And to discuss it with me, I'm pleased to welcome Jean Kimmelman, President of Public Knowledge and GPD Advisory Board member. Jean, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So um, 
Gene, from a layman's perspective, there seems to be clear similarities between Bell and the sort of present crop of tech companies. What are your thoughts on this comparison? Like, how are they the same and, and how do they differ? Well, there are some very important differences. And I think the way we need to think about it is um, for the discussion we want to have, I think you always need to start with what are the fundamental underlying economics of the market that you're talking about. Um, for the Bell uh, uh, monopoly, it was the wired infrastructure, which actually originally had started as separate companies competing against each other, uh, but failing to work out interconnection arrangements and uh, it becoming a monopoly through an agreement with the government. Um, but the fundamental economics were that there were multiple networks and it did not seem workable. Um, and then as it became a monopoly under government oversight, um, the economics unfolded to where portions of what was happening in the telephone network were seemingly more competitive. You could start buying equipment that could connect that was other than the phone that was offered by the Bell company. Um, there were new companies developing uh, long-distance services uh, so that you could actually connect with different companies to make calls over um, across the country, globally. Um, and then there was a piece of it that was a remaining monopoly, which was the local connection, which no one seemed able to duplicate. And so out of that economic environment with government oversight, there, was a, there were a variety of uh, behaviors that were anti-competitive, blocking connections to the network for new electronics companies that could offer uh, various kinds of phones, fax machines, new kinds of equipment that the monopoly did not want to have connected. Similarly, different long-distance companies were being blocked. And so there was, a, there was a clear need based on the economics of the underlying monopoly portion, the behavior of the company controlling it, to break it up. So then let's take that kind of thinking and put it into the tech sector where this is not one simple communications network. It's layers of applications and operating systems and a variety of um, new digital services that do connect to uh, underlying communications network, but the tech companies don't control that network. And what we're seeing is the growth of these digital platforms of Facebook for communicating in a particular way, Google for search, and then um, a lot of different products that connect to it. Um, Amazon in the U.S. growing probably more and more globally, offering um, delivery services and connecting equipment and then new opportunities for people to actually shop online. Um, these companies are growing, and what we're seeing with the economics of them is that there are enormous, what economists would call economies of scale and scope, cost savings of growing uh, more broadly and more offering a deeper set of services that keep offering consumers better options and lower prices. At a certain point, that can become something like a communications network. Uh, where everyone is connected and everyone needs to be connected. But we haven't really gotten quite there yet, but we're seeing signs of 
dominance, Google in search, Facebook in social networking. Um, and I think these are things that are beginning to look a bit more like what the Bell monopoly was, but it, there are clear differences both in how they've developed and how they're behaving. What we have not seen yet is pervasive blocking of, of new services from these distribution platforms. We see some specific allegations of problems with Google on shopping and Android that are being adjudicated, um, but we don't have the pervasive abuses that we had with a monopoly that was broken up. So I think there are some similarities, but some important distinctions and differences. And also, the final thing I'll say that's very important is that monopoly for the phone network was always regulated at the same time as there were questions of antitrust abuse. The tech sector has not been regulated. And I think um, besides looking at economics, when we see something that we find problematic and, and, and um, um, illogical for consumers, why aren't they interconnecting certain services or why can't I use the same uh, device on different kinds of services, um, I think we have to look and say, what is the problem for the consumer? What is the problem for the citizen in the society? And what what is the harm that is occurring? And what would be the best tool to address the harm? <clears throat> I feel that many of the tech discussions turn immediately to antitrust, when in reality, a lot of the problems may be better addressed by other policy tools, like opening up uh, APIs, interconnection to differing platforms, making um, equipment operable across multiple platforms, not allowing totally closed down networks. These may be better policy initiatives <clears throat> that can truly address specific problems as opposed to some generic antitrust just break up companies. It's really interesting to get that, those, those those comparisons there. I think that what um, for, you know again from a layman's perspective, looking at these um, these different industries, it seems like the the the, the outlines of these industries or sort of sectors within the sort of tech industry um, are still being drawn. So you 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 know there are many claims to say that obviously Google is a is a monopoly of search in the in the the, the percentage of search that's run through the the, the Google Google platform and is search different to social uh, social network like like Facebook. Um, so is the is the monopoly model then not a useful way of thinking um, about tech companies and and the, the, the power that they sort of represent um, in, in the 21st century? I think the monopoly mo model is one piece of the analysis. <clears throat> but again, I think we should start with what are the economics that are pushing the market to develop in a certain way? Um, if there were, let's use search, for example, um, Google has grown enormously and is dominating more and more in search, more in Europe than in, in the U.S., but becoming increasingly dominant everywhere. Um, if there were three, if we broke Google into three search companies, what would happen? Um, would you somehow see... Uh, new innovations from one versus the other. Would they want? Would one be really competing against the other? A second line of questions might be: 
if you split them into three, would you have a problem with an oil company buying one of them? Or would you have a problem with a major bank buying one of them? Or Walmart buying one of them? Um, or turn it around, would you be comfortable if Apple bought a third of Google search? Or uh, a telecom bought a third of Google search? So it's it, the, the, the a monopoly analysis is complicated and difficult because um, it can deal with a simple problem of a monopoly being abused, but then you still have to step back and say, what, a, what is the remedy? What am I trying to accomplish? And invariably, we're talking about areas where we want consumers to have more choices. We don't want platforms to dictate our expression, our choices, our ability to speak, our ability to receive information and uh, commercial uh, engage in commercial activities. Um, but if, if, if size is the problem, but breaking them up could lead to some other combination that could be a similar problem, you have to look at it and say, is the better way to deal with this to prevent discrimination in that function? Should we prevent uh, Google favoring itself in search as opposed to saying it shouldn't be allowed to have this much search? So these are just different policy tools um, that align with different goals that we would have, and I would say fundamentally need to align with the underlying economics. Let me go back to the, the, the Bell example. We broke up the monopoly, um, and we had an explosion of innovation in new companies offering both electronics and new services connecting to a monopoly network. Um, in both Europe um, and in the U.S., we maintained a fair amount of regulation over the telecom sector. In the U.S., the power of the underlying monopoly became so prevalent that they wore down the regulations and were able to reintegrate. Now, it's not just that they were powerful. The economics supported their drive to grow again, even though they had been broken up. And now we really have only a few firms dominating once again not one monopoly, but still not the vibrant explosion. In Europe, you maintained a much more thorough regulatory platform around the underlying telecom monopoly, and you've had much more vibrant competition sustained in add-on services, mobile, other long-distance type services, other equipment. Um, and so there, again, I think it has been a regulatory set of tools that have preserved the goals for consumers, the innovation, the choice, and the broader freedom of expression that has been a big struggle in the U.S. Um, since the reintegration of many of these companies. And if, if you look at the um, uh, another way of looking at the, these, these platforms are their not just their, their their role in a particular sort of search or in 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 sort of social networking, um, but their 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 control or sort of collection of, of of data and the way in which they're they're using that to sort of uh, um, horizontally integrate with other in other sectors or innovate uh, off of off of that. Um, do you see there to be a sort of um, an antitrust argument or some sort of uh, competition analysis argument in how they use 
um, their position of power or dominance in their existing market to enter new markets or deliver new products and services um, off of their existing sort of um, dominance in, in, in their industry? So control of data um, uh, and the ability to gather data, I think, is definitely an important part of an antitrust analysis. Um, has been under uh, underassessed in the past, and I think people are becoming increasingly aware that it should be a significant portion of the analysis. But then again, it's not just the gathering of the data. You have to look at what is being done with it. Is that the tool to draw advertising revenue? Clearly, some of that is. Is that is that the fuel for the power in the marketplace? Clearly, there is quite a bit of that. But then you have to look at an advertising market and say. Uh, not just Google controls this percentage of online advertising and Facebook controls the rest of it, and therefore they are two uh, almost monopolistic players. You have to say, where else are people advertising in similar fashion? And invariably, it still is on television. It still is, is in other video distribution products. So one needs to be careful what you're trying to challenge um and we see a growth of of now amazon rising um in the online advertising world so it's the fact that there's a lot of data amassed is important and a key input to an analysis but it's not just an antitrust analysis it should be a personal data protection analysis of individual control and autonomy even if there's not a competitive arm there still may be a um imbalance in intruding on the individual's privacy rights and right to control their own information. So that would have nothing necessarily to do with competition, but a different policy goal. Um, and both the, the European directives um, and some of the U.S. discussion are, are trying to address those concerns. Um, I think that we don't know fully how data can be used to uh, steer or harm the competitive process, um, and that needs to be evaluated. In other words, it's not clear that by knowing a bit more about what you or I do, that the company that has that has got a unique advantage over every other company. There might be other ways in which others can compete equally, and we need to understand that. I think the, the, the point there around the sort of the the personal control of data is, is is quite interesting. And when the 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 internet was invented and and, and, and proliferated around the world, it was going to be this this disruptor, this uh, this you know sparking all this innovation and sort of distributed network around the world. And what we've actually seen is a is a is a, is a doubling down or concentration of the number of platforms and um, and, and and corporate power. What do you see as a sort of the relationship between the, the, the concentration of corporate power and those, those wider sort of human rights uh, questions? I think there are very significant human rights questions and very significant questions about the future of democracy and um, equal rights under, under law if too few companies are dominating, even if they're not necessarily violating competition principles, if too few companies are dominating markets, invariably they tend to dominate political processes as well. And I think there's a separate argument based on um, democracy, uh, equal rights, and therefore human rights framework to be 
cautious about allowing too few companies to dominate in um, in a society. Um, again, it can be that there is a um, uh, a strong antitrust framework that keeps a number of large players uh, at bay and preventing domination, and yet. If they have parallel interests politically, that's dangerous to democratic institutions. And so, again, I would say it's not an antitrust tool. It's more of a broader policy perspective about the the key cornerstones and building blocks for a vibrant democratic society that need to be the tools assessed against dominance in politics. Um, so there could be a reason why even if a Facebook, a Google, an Amazon, and Apple um, are competing quite effectively against each other, um, that they're preventing uh, smaller players from really emerging. They're preventing diversity of viewpoints and voices in a marketplace and therefore in a political framework and um, too powerful over um, citizens' ability to uh, assess their own self-interest and their own political views. So that could be a very separate policy framework for wanting diversity of ownership, uh, more small distributors and suppliers in chains of distribution in a society. Um, And I think those are extremely relevant parallel to antitrust. And looking at sort of where these discussions are taking place, obviously, you know, a lot of the companies we're talking about today are um, um, American uh, companies uh, based, out, based out of the West Coast, um, but obviously have global reach and, and, and are, you know, have global impact. Where do you see in the future the sort of the, the key um, policy discussions taking place and, and, and where should we as, you know, human rights defenders um, uh, be engaging to, to strategically shape this conversation to ensure that what you've described actually um, realizes in the future? Well, I think that's very different. The, the, the geopolitics around this are enormously complicated. I believe every one of the major policy concerns definitely resides at a local, regional, national level. There is no doubt that the nation state plays a critical role in each one of these uh, policy uh, uh, analyses. Uh, and, ought to be, and there needs to be a substantial uh, focus on how those local policies are developed, but they are not divorced from uh, global trade and go- global geopolitical um, power um, um, uh, disputes. And so I think trade agreements, I think um, in this space of technology and telecommunications, international telecommunications union is critical because wherever there are norms set, wherever there are standards um, invoked and pressure applied um, um, from nation states, from the large uh, multinational corporations, um, we need to have a broad, open policy debate about how those norms, how those standards, to the extent that there are trade agreements or treaties, how those uh, binding obligations are established. And and civil society needs to be at the table. All stakeholders need to be at the table. So unfortunately, it's complicated. One needs to be engaged everywhere from locally through the major uh, multilateral uh, um, uh, discussions 
that affect policy. And how would you say that the sort of antitrust or the, the sort of the, the more of the sort of economic analysis and competitive analysis sort of uh, community uh, could be working more with the sort of the digital rights or human rights online community um, to, to help shape that, uh, that policy landscape? Well, I believe it's, there is a moment in time now when people are starting to realize with the explosion of the digital economy and the enormity of the, the um, <clears throat> growth of tech, the major tech companies, that there is, a, there is a power and a dominance concern. And so antitrust needs to be uh, looked at carefully. The tools need to be resharpened, refocused. There needs to be greater emphasis and, um, uh, and attention paid and resources applied to that form of analysis. But it should never be divorced from um, uh, other nation-state oversight, regulatory, um, legal frameworks, and other global norm-setting um, tools. Um, and so this needs to be a comprehensive uh, approach to um, uh, all policy tools on the table because each one of them both contributes to or can be harmful to uh, fundamental human rights. And so I think we just, we're seeing a, a, a moment in time when antitrust rises to a more significant level as the tech sector explodes. Um, and as we also see the underlying telecom sector remaining quite monopolistic um, uh, in transmission functionality. Um, and so that becomes a more important piece of the puzzle. But again, just one piece of the puzzle. Anyone who is just focusing on antitrust and thinking it will solve the problems, I think, is, is going to miss quite a bit of um, what we truly need in policy protections for human rights, for supporting democracy, and for making markets function to benefit uh, freedom of expression. So I'm going, to, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I, I, I think I know what you're, going to, what you're going to say to this question, but the big question uh, about this podcast is, do the big tech companies need to be broken up? I think the big tech companies need to be scrutinized carefully, and we need to start by then analyzing what about them is causing a harm, what is that harm, how does it relate to the fundamental economics of what those companies are doing, what the tech platforms are doing? Is it the natural outgrowth of the economic forces or is it some nefarious behavior? Once we've defined what a harm is that we want to address, protection of personal data, for our own privacy, um, protection against domination and controlling viewpoints, or controlling markets, whatever that is, I think we then need to look and say, what is the tool that truly will address this harm and that we have confidence is sustainable? Um, uh, if you break up companies and they reintegrate, um, have you accomplished something? If you just change the name of who got one-third of that company or one-fourth of that company and someone else starts doing a similar thing, have you accomplished something? Sometimes the breakup tool is not the correct tool if it runs counter to the underlying economics of what drove dominance. So I caution against just immediately looking for a breakup. But having said that, I do believe there are significant concerns about the acquisitions of some of the large tech companies of smaller players who no one really knew whether they were going to compete against a Facebook or a Google in the future. Um, but 
who clearly are potential rivals. I think there ought to be a much more rigorous antitrust analysis and crackdown against those types of acquisitions because as we see these companies gain dominance, um, the question will become who can be the new small Google or the new small Apple or Facebook to change the competitive landscape. And unless you allow those smaller players to survive, you have no way of, of, of ascertaining whether competition is even possible. So I think it's less of an immediate look at breakup, but more of a look at what are the harms to be addressed and is there um, a stronger need to prevent um, greater growth of these companies through acquisition. Well, that's a, that's a great call to action and a, and a great way to end this podcast. Thanks, Gene, so much for, for, for joining us uh, for, this, for this very interesting conversation. Um, we'll be putting up a few links and a link to the uh, Public Knowledge website on GPD, uh, GPD's website, and uh, we look forward to welcoming you back on the show at some point soon. Thanks again. Thanks for having me.